Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. I would go You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me. I got Samuel Joseph from Hello Forever. Excellent band. Just re-released their record, whatever it is, on Rough Trade Records. Fascinating band. They live in California on a part of land formerly used by a nudist colony. He's an interesting guy, as you're about to hear. They're constantly writing and recording material there. We talk about this on this episode. We also talk about his stint working at Capitol Records, doing a data tagging project, selling sonar panels and working at a farmer's market after that before getting a publishing deal and setting up hello forever just over a year ago and how that's all come together as well as an excellent story from sundance 
where he got beefed by Hillary Clinton's bodyguards. So that's all to come on today's episode of 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you like this podcast, please share it around. You really help me get more guests and speak to more fascinating people. So cheers for supporting the podcast. Any sharing you can do, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Go and tell people about it. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've made collaboration beers with Mastodon, with Idols, with Slaves, with Sports Team recently. And you can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, and order there over lockdown straight to your door. And with the voucher code 101PODCAST, all capitals, you can get 10% off. All right, so here's Samuel Joseph from Hello Forever. I shared a snippet of this conversation on my Soho radio show, Modern Lovers. That's on every other Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Feel free to tune in. Have a great afternoon. Cheers. Sam, the first thing I thought when I when I got sent over the record in in the in the in the bio was about how the band is kind of based on this forgotten piece of land and how you're practicing every day, you know, five days a week. And I thought there's got to be a story there. So, what was your journey that led to, you know, living where you're living now? Oh my gosh, well. It's- there's a whole life of a journey that led to now. Um, but the short journey was a long Craigslist search. Um, <laughs> we knew that we needed to be somewhere far away from other people so we could play music loudly and avoid distraction. And we looked pretty far and wide. It needed to generally be in Southern California because everybody was living around here. Um, and when we found this spot, I mean, we drove up and it was just a miracle, you know, it was, it was perfectly close to where we needed it to be. And, uh, the, the view is incredible and it was somehow affordable too, which was just like uh, incomprehensible to me because of what it is. And, um, yeah, we can... We can actually see from here, um, I went to summer camp on Catalina Island, and it's where I wrote my first song, and where I played guitar for the first time, and where I performed in front of people for the first time. And I can see the spot on the island where the camp is from the studio. So wow. that was a big part of it, too. And yeah, the, the history of this place is fascinating, the recent history, Um the older history of this place, like the rest of this country is really tragic and uh, Mm. unethical, you know, how this land came to be a place where someone like me might be able to have a house. Yeah. Um, So I guess it's hard to talk about the the recent history and the, the nudist colony without thinking all the way back to, you know, how the nudists even came to acquire it. But um, you know, that, that recent history is, uh, you know, it was, it was a special place here and we like to think that it's still a special place. How, how recent was it that the nudist colony? Um, I think that its last days were in the mid eighties. You know, don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure that's right. when it did its heyday was in the seventies and that's when it started. Um, there's actually a guy who's like the last living nudist and he has a house here on the land. And um, I haven't, I haven't milked all the stories out of him, but he's got them. And I don't know. I found recently uh, a pamphlet 
from the nudist colony online, just a copy of it. And it had a schedule of all the programs weekly. And I mean, I, I guess I could look it up and tell you some of the names, but it's really far out stuff, you know? Just, yeah. Well, I think they weren't just naked. You know, there was, there was a lot of like, um, bootleg intellectualism, if you will, around yeah. the, and, you know, conversations and ideology and, um, it, it sounds like it was a fun place looking at, you know, just the few people who were known to hang out here and what their lives were like outside of the nudist colony, you know, like Sammy Davis Jr. was hanging out and oh, right. yeah, like politicians. I mean, I politicians, you gotta take them or leave them. Um, but it seemed to attract all kinds of people. Um, and that's interesting to me. You know, I, I think it, a lot of people deep down want to be naked. Yeah, I'd I'd be up for it. Yeah, yeah, I've, I'd give it a try. I um, I went to an art school where nudity was really uh, permitted and encouraged. You know, there was a lot of naked performance, so I think maybe that tied in a little bit too. Well, this podcast's all about stories. I kind of want to mine stories of of people's lives, cool. and. And I mean, and your life does sound so fascinating. I mean, practicing five days a week, what, what's the kind of usual daily routine for you? Well, that's altered slightly since the quarantine because, you know, the, we can't play shows. <laughs> right. So now we're rehearsing three days a week, but five or six days a week in addition to rehearsing or sometimes when we're not, uh, we're working on a record and... We've been doing it basically since quarantine started at the beginning of April. So most days I get up, um, hopefully after sleeping eight hours, but a lot of times we do really long sessions. They go like 14 hours on the record. So Really? Yeah, and I kind of wake up in the morning now no matter what. I used to be able to sleep a full eight hours all the time. But I'll wake up. Usually the first thing that I do is a meditation practice and it's, you know, it's brief, but it's consistent. So I'll do that, make a smoothie. Everybody's hanging out. The kitchen is a great hang in the morning. People getting ready. Is it one big house that you live in? Everybody in the, yeah, everybody's here in the house. It's, um, it's pretty big, but we're also, you know, we're, we're a family. So we're, we're living with and on top of each other um and yeah so that's how that's how it goes um we go in the studio and then we we're there (laughs) and then and the the studio's on on site around the corner or yeah it's in a separate structure used to be the garage but we converted it um right yeah and was that the kind of plan that you envisioned for yourself you know kind of being the founder of the band is, is that it was that something that you, that you were looking for the situation that you're in now? Yeah. I didn't know that we would be able to achieve it so quickly. Um, you know, it was basically within a year of starting the group, we were able to put this together and having a, like a compound, if you will, and a community for the project was, was a intention for the future. And it, we just found a way to put it together really, really quickly. And everybody 
supported and ratified around that vision. And um, yeah, it's a it's a way of life for us and mm. being able to be fully immersed in the creative process and not have distractions and be together. And, you know, any moment we can just spontaneously start making something or singing together. It's really beautiful. Right. And what kind of, you know, speaking about distractions, what, what kind of, what was going on in your life before this, you know, talk about, you know, the last, the last five years, what were kind of the, the biggest moments of the last five years? Did you, did you have any other sort of careers or, or jobs or, or things that really were holding you? Um, kind of, I was in school. I went to, I went to Cal arts, um, and that was nearby. And when I finished school, I actually got a job, which was super odd at Capitol records, which was, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, a. There was a little experimental department that consisted of myself, another friend from CalArts, and two bosses. And it was a machine learning project, essentially trying to create an algorithm to understand different musical features. Um, The phase that we were working on was genre. So basically, we would create uh, quote-unquote data sets, but it was just groups of recordings in the form of Uh, mp3s and try to align them with certain musical properties which then we would tag with a name and the machine learning system would analyze it and try to ascertain the similar aspects of it and then codify that as the genre um with wow with the end yeah kind of like the music genome project essentially at pandora they only have four. Yeah. They only had four of us on it and honestly it it felt sometimes like we were mostly there just to demonstrate like the future potential of the project. It it didn't seem like right. we were ever going to be able to create what they were alleging we were creating. And So uh, what how did they sell it to you? How did they you know what was that alleged role? Um I mean, I was, I was straight out of school and I'd never worked in an office before. And I had two guys who worked in an office saying like, we have this project and we want to hire you. It was, it was a huge blessing to get to be at Capitol, but, um, yeah, I felt like my coworkers were unhappy and, um, nobody, you know, a company that large, um, and a project that was that weird, there was basically no oversight, you know, because Capital is owned by Universal, which is owned mm-hmm. by Vivendi. Um, and, you know, there's differing opinions about the major label system. But, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for the people who work there, having, yeah. gone, having gone through that. But I was a little bit too weird, you know, like they were always telling me, like, Sam, it's not a tech company. Like, you can't roll in at 10 or 11 a.m. and stay till eight hours after that like we meet you here first thing at nine and i was like sure man (laughs) i was like like leaving on my skateboard to go to the juice bar or like (laughs) working barefoot out in the courtyard and they were like dude (laughs) please wear shoes and sit at your cubicle at all times and it it, uh you know i learned a lot 
but it hit a point where I was like, okay, I need to go just make music. And after that, like I, I pretty much vowed to do music full time and it took me six months from then, but I was able to, um, to get a publishing deal from, uh, downtown, my publisher, who I'm super grateful to. So that freed me up to make music full time. There was a little bit of, of a dark period at the end of that where I did briefly have to get some odd jobs. There was like a farmer's market moment and uh, trying to sell solar panels door to door moment. I never sold a single solar panel. Uh, And then after that, things things with the, I hadn't really started this project yet when I had the publishing deal. I was just writing. Um, And after the, after the whole farmer's market solar panel thing, we started the project and, stuff clicked so i've been doing this when you talk about the the publishing deal i mean i i mean actually at first uh, talking about the job that you know data tagging music and sounds sounds so you know you, you listen to whatever it is and that's like the paradox you know of yeah. something like that you know that whatever it is just sounds so freeing it sounds so natural it's wonderful thank you yeah that's probably why i couldn't handle working on that for more than four months you have a record label but the the publisher came first did it yeah yeah sometimes i really feel like i'm you know i'm I'm so blessed and privileged to be living the old la dream of a musician at least the last five years like to be able to focus on it full time without having an audience i feel like that's a, a really rare opportunity um and I'm, I'm so grateful to the people on my team who believed in the vision and supported it basically just uh, on the merit of demos that I had. You know, I had never even, I'd recorded in a professional studio here and there over the years, but um, not on anything very good. So when I finally figured out my process um, and how to write from a, uh, a more humble and open place. And that's when the music really started to, to come through. Um, right. I was just doing stuff on, on my laptop and I probably had about 15, 20 laptop demos and wow. them around. And yeah, then publisher showed up and it was such a miracle. I was like, how is this even real? <laughs> it seems to me like such a balance between having that thing where, you know, you're writing you know, from, from your purest place and then having that admin skill as well of emailing people, speaking to publishers, labels, whoever it may be. When you look back at that time, how, how are you kind of balancing the two? Oh, I'm, I'm still balancing it. I'm like fully the entrepreneur CEO, um, on the phone, on the email, got to be a boss in addition to being an artist and it's a total double life you know I was just actually just like explaining this to a friend yesterday and in any given week there's like 30 people on the team or who you know somebody like you who I'm talking to for press or designers or videographers or whatever you know there's there's so many people that I'm in communication with that make the project possible and who we're collaborating with. So that's a huge, huge part of my life. And it's not necessarily what I signed up for, 
you know, I, I wanted to make music full time so I could serve the songs and mm. serve the people who are meant to hear them and be uplifted and transformed by them. Um, and I try to take it, I try to take it with humility that there's other aspects of, of uh, the music business that I have to take on as part of that journey for the songs mm, mm. you know it's it takes a lot of time i'm sure you you talk to a lot of artists um and you know we have amazing management now and they're so helpful and they do a lot of heavy lifting but i still have to be in communication with so many people every week and right and and, and you're in you're in control of your own future like you may have all these great people on board but you're still the one that's going to be the the driving force Totally, totally. And I think that's a, a new part of being an artist today, you know, is like mm-hmm. being a social media personality and being an entrepreneur. I think it's just been infused with the culture around it. You know, culture is holistic. So I think as time has gone on, capitalism and consumerism and corporatism has been infused into everyone's activities that used to be able to sit outside of it. Um, right. And I, I don't know, we could get into it if that's good or bad. I think a lot of artists, I mean, I'm forgetting whose quote this is, but you know, I, there, Artists starting as early as like the late 70s and the 80s started to, in interviews, complain about how they used to be able to just make music, but now they also have to do music videos. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I think that's compounded, and there's so many other things that we have to do. Um, It would be nice to build to a place where I don't have to do anything other than the music again. Sometimes, especially last year when we were first building and we were trying to launch the project and we didn't have a manager yet and we didn't have a label yet and we didn't have an agent yet, it felt like like I would have more time to make music if I just had a day job, you know? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. I get to live my dream and I get to make songs and there's so many other hard things that somebody would do with their time that people I know have to do with their time. People all over the world are doing with their time. So I don't get bogged down in it. Like, Oh, screw yeah. this. Like I want to just make music. Like I, I try to be grateful for the opportunity that it represents. Have you adjusted the way or have you adjusted where you, you find your inspiration? Mm. Does it come from one place? Does it, does it come from a, you know, a place inside of you that you can tap into? Yeah, it's inside and it's beyond. Um, Whatever it is came from the joy of discovering my relationship to melody and my relationship to song and how to surrender to that power and allow it to express itself through me. And, you know, finding that that vortex finding that channel brought me great excitement and it was euphoric and so that 
was the feeling that came through. So a lot of the songs are really about the feeling of writing songs and how spectacular it is. You know, now I've cleared through that and the channel can go, you know, go through other feelings and experiences. And I think the newer music, there's, there's wounds that are zeitgeist wounds or personal wounds. Um, and a space of tenderness that I'm getting in touch with and allowing to be expressed through the song. So yeah, it's this same, same channel, but different program. And writing songs for the next records. I read in an, in an interview that you're, the writing songs for the upcoming albums, plural. Yes. You're quite a, a prolific songwriter, are you? Um, I mean, yeah, I don't want to be presumptuous. I do write a lot of songs. This year, sadly, it's been slightly less so far than usual. Like, t- typically, I'm doing 60 to 80 songs a year. Right now, it's September. I probably hit, like, 30 to 35 so far. So, I mean, there's a, there's a chance it's going to be wild. Um, we've been working on this record and I spent so much time on it. So that's probably part of it. And also just, uh, how disturbed the world is right now. Right. It makes it hard. Um, I also want, I mean, having released whatever it is in February, that, that must've been quite a thrill that, you know, you not, not resting on your laurels as such, but kind of, you know, bathing in that for a bit? Honestly, not really. We were already working on the new album part-time before that. And as soon as it was out, I was like, oh, thank God. Now I can right. go full deep on the new music. Oh, cool. And yeah, still still writing. Um, going into this year, I had the second and third and fourth albums written. And I've probably written at least another album worth of material this year so we're yeah we got like even if i hopefully i don't knock on wood like even if i stopped writing now like we could probably put out music for the next eight years i hate to say it but the ceo of spotify daniel Eck, he came out of that quote a couple of months ago saying you know no longer is it a time where bands can put out one album every couple of years I paraphrase. Uh, I'm not sure if you read that, but I mean, does that affect you at all? Does that even, is that even something that's on your radar? Uh, because I suppose it's, it, it kind of has to in a sense, right? If you're an entrepreneur in, in the music business, in, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we're just starting and I think our team and our label want to be strategic about how we release music. But I, I also think that everyone once there's an audience there, we're all on the same page about putting stuff out at the pace yeah. at which uh, we write and create it. Right. I'm very looking forward to that. Yeah. And I'm looking forward at developing our process um, to support that. Cause that's what feels best, you know, like, and we did that this year. I mean, rough trade empowered that we've, 
we recorded everything so hard like end of may beginning of june and it was out in july editors know i realized after this interview that i think he's talking about everything is so hard and i'm feeling it two singles that came out around this time was it august maybe it was out in august it was just like a month after we finished it and i was like this is this is how it should always be for real that must have been really satisfying yeah it's it's amazing and you know if spotify is listening like we're we're down so platform and we will give the music to the people (laughs) right and and so when you were touring a lot did were you were you writing away from home or writing away from the compound um we were touring some but not a lot this was our this this year was like our big step into that um obviously that was implausible and we had to change our plans but yeah we were supposed to do major festivals this year and i think we would have been over there uh in the uk and europe and um there were some opening slot like support tours that were coming together here in the states and so yeah we we've never been on the road extensively enough you know because we basically we started two years ago um and uh yeah, in that time, we've mostly just been playing around LA. We did a short tour last year, and we went out of town. At the beginning of this year, we played at Sundance Film Festival. Um, Great! That that sounds like it'd be perfect for you. Yeah, that was that was amazing. Um, Chris Doritas from KCRW got us booked on a show that he was hosting there. Um, he's a really sweet dude, and. Yeah, we played. It was packed. Um, Sundance is bizarre. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's like a no, no, total spectacle, alternate universe. It's like, I don't know, it's like being inside of a movie. Everybody is on display 24-7. The outfits are over the top. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's like, Did you fit in? Did you feel like you fit in? No, I didn't. I didn't realize that it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just an arts festival, but that it was like a convention. You know, people are constantly networking, and like every interaction is weighing each person's social capital, and like you can benefit or you can lose. It's a little bit ruthless, Um, but then you know you see you see people whose work you love or actually got shoved by Hillary Clinton's secret service uh, while I was on the sidewalk, which was pretty wild. Excuse me. You yeah. have to, you'll have to, you'll have to say that one. Um, so basically, you know, we've been walking around. I just got some food and this was maybe five minutes before Kobe Bryant died also. So it was just like a, oh, wow. a weird pop culture vortex moment. Um, and I was about to cross the street and, you know, the whole town of Sundance, it's just like, it's basically like a, a, an adult Disneyland, you know, it's, it's a very integrated, walkable urban infrastructure and it's very compact. So Mm. everywhere you go is basically public space. Um, but all of a sudden the corner I was crossing on gets locked down by the police 
and everybody like has to stand in place and they won't let anybody cross. And I'm like, what's going on? And I look to my left and Hillary Clinton's right there. And, you know, she does have a pretty sordid history and involved in uh, war crimes and all kinds of uh, human rights issues um, with any world leader, you know. But there's like also like the tiny kid inside of me who's conditioned to be like first lady, fucking, you know, secretary of state. What was her position? I think she was secretary of state. I need to look this up. Yeah, she's secretary of state. I know what I'm talking about. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) I just instinctively like turn and I'm like, oh my God, Hillary. And I wish I had something in my head. You know, I wish I had something to say that was like holding her accountable for all the injustice that she's responsible for. But I literally just like froze up and I I was like, oh my God, Hillary, hi. And I took a step towards her, which if you're ever around a world leader, like word to the wise, don't take a step towards them. Even if you're just trying to like say hi or shake their hand. Cause out of nowhere, this dude, and he was actually like quite a bit shorter than me, but he was packing power and he just elbowed me in the gut like as hard as he could and he was wearing like a trench coat and sunglasses and shit he just shoved me back and i was like whoa all right wow don't make that move and then i go it was so surreal so that happened and i get on my phone to like text the band be like you guys i just got shoved by hillary clinton's secret service i hope they're not following me to my car uh and then they're like, yeah, whatever, man, Kobe Bryant's dead. And then I turn around and, you know, it's it's Sundance. So everybody's on their Twitter constantly. And it was just like on a dime, like every single person on the street all around me was talking about Kobe and texting about Kobe. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm not that big into celebrities and pop culture, but Kobe's hmm. somebody who was a hero to our whole city growing up and like it. I think it's powerful the way that he inspired people to greatness and inspired people to pursue their passions. And he was so great at what he did. And he's, you know, I think he's a humanitarian. And he it shook the world, that news. Yeah. Yeah. I never had checked in with a celebrity's death like that. And it was, it was actually sad in a big way. I think also because of his daughter too. She's like so young. Yeah. And people. Yeah like yeah really hurts kicked off 2020 (laughs) how you know as someone from london hearing about los angeles is you you hear about that kind of 24 7 kind of celebrity thing going on you know everything's kind of shiny what was it like growing up there like how how did it kind of shape you Mm. i want to say it it didn't but like I said earlier, like culture is holistic. You know, you can't you can't really look at one trait without the context of everything else that's going on. Yeah, within a culture and within a society. Yeah. So I'm sure that it did. Uh, I'm I'm pursuing a life in the arts. I've always believed unwaveringly in the possibility of that. Um, you know, it, it, the way that we're pursuing art, I could go be a professor and try to get grants and do music full time that way. But the way I'm doing it is by releasing music to the public and um, 
I guess that would involve, even in the small way we are right now, being a public figure. So I think that is clearly from the culture of Los Angeles. Um, other things that influenced me here, I grew up in the South Bay um, near the beach. And, you know, there's a lot of seminal punk music that came out of there. Black Flag came out of there. Um, SST Records, that whole thing yeah. down there. Pennywise. Um, countless others. So I think that I was really integrated into that kind of ethos and that approach and that mentality, like just the idea that you can have a band on your own terms and do that was just, um, it was presumed, you know, it's not something I ever questioned because I just knew so many people who were in bands and it didn't matter if you were famous or successful or anything, you know, people just really believed in that as uh, as a lifestyle. So I think that was the big thing that I inherited about culture. Punk is overtly political. And of course, yeah. It was, uh, it was protesting political conservatism. But, y- you know, I think this the spirit um, of the teenage experience that led to those groups, especially here, it was more about the way that the young people are controlled, you know, and and looking for sovereignty, looking for agency, you know, getting, you know, there's the, people talk about the, the, the school to prison pipeline. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily something that the white people and punk bands had to deal with uh, in a direct way. But, you know, people feel imprisoned by school and the way that it, it's run here. And I think the spirit of punk rock coming out in teenagers, it comes from that place. It comes from, mm. I think there's a, there's a, a cognitive dissonance and a, uh, a phenomenological collapse of being told as a young person that you must obey. And that, that is like, when I say like a ubiquitous conservatism, like beyond politics right that's it's like that mm. idea that you that you must be obedient or be punished or yeah be exiled yeah and i right you know there's so many topics in in punk music i don't want to generalize but i think that that is like a a, a source node of that angst and that rebellion it's just like we're being who we are right and you're not control of that my favorite records are so empowering in in that sense they're liberating you know when i think of american beauty i think this doesn't feel like anything else this feels really actually quite freeing you know despite the 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 amount of years between my age and that release date Mm, totally and you you do get that vibe on whatever it is as well it has this empowering you know liberation Thanks. Yeah, I. That's where we came from. Um, I'm. I'm glad it's still. It's still in the music, you know, because it. That's what it feels. That's what it feels like. like. We have to do it on our terms. Well, Samuel, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I had a great time. So for the next, I mean, couple of months, you do you have a record? Do you have a uh, a date for when you want to start? making the record the next one the the third one um 
The second I, one. Oh, the second one's almost done. Oh, right. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what, so we've been working on the second one. It's almost done. Um, the third one, I have the track list together, and we've already demoed all the songs. Great. So, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to be done with the second one end of October. And giving yourself space and looking more objectively if you know if you've been able to at whatever it is has that given you a kind of perspective on the second one that you that is you know a a new perspective um yeah i guess so i try not to bring critical judgment into the artistic process Mm. but i think in subtle ways you know just striving to serve better striving to be truer in the songwriting and truer to the songs in the recording process. And we were talking about Kobe earlier. Um, and I think something that I, I learn from sports figures and it has actually been affirmed in me because of learning about them. I think it was something that you want to be humble. Right. Um, mm. But I think I also want to strive for greatness. Um, as just a, I don't know, greatness is so arbitrary, but just as like an ideal. And I think that whatever is, is awesome, but I want to make a better, better record, every record that we make forever. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I just have that as a benchmark and like, how do we, how do we grow beyond it? Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you, man. This is great getting to meet you and hopefully we'll be over there playing shows and we can have you out before too long yeah that'd be amazing i'm looking forward to it okay thank you sweet thank you so much yeah be well so that was samuel joseph of hello forever their debut record whatever it is is out now on rough trade go ahead and find that Kieran Manetta Jones edited this episode. Please go ahead and follow 101 Part-Time Jobs on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you liked this episode, please share it around there. Cheers. Here's Cox Sparrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blink me, I've been on the go. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.